This is the Sea to Sky podcast. Editorial. Welcome to another edition of Get Mode. I'm Marcus. I'm sitting here with Maurice Freitag, our editorial mastermind. And um, it seems like on our first podcast with you, you did a little thing about Jumar uh, that got a lot of attention. Apparently, you got very, um, what's the word, um, vibrant on it. Uh, you were quite opinionated and it caught a lot of listeners. And so... Let's talk about developments in, in Squamish and what, what's happening here in terms of OCP and, and growth and, and stuff like that and how you feel about what's going on with that. For example, uh, the Jumar thing, we, we got your opinion, unless you want to reiterate how you really feel about the Jumar. Yeah, thanks, Marcus. Um, well, Jumar, you know, it's unfortunate, but fortunate Jumar comes to sort of a head during election time. But um, having come to Squamish in 95, as I mentioned before, I saw a lot of this type of pieces of land sitting around in Squamish. I still remember um, the business park when people were like squatting, camping in the business park. Uh, there was no road through. There was one road through. It went around, but in the middle was just mostly forest. But back to Jumar, the district of Squamish a number of times has tried to make that piece of land work. It was owned by BC Real Properties, and I saw everything from advertising signage sort of en masse in there to at one point in time there was a mini golf sandcastle building exhibition in there. Oil and lube. Well, and then at which time we saw BC Rail uh, shutting down operations in Squamish, and what was left was BC Rail Properties and basically the track from the way I understand it. That piece of property was, was offered for sale. I do recall at one point in time that the price being around $50,000. And of course, at that point in time, Squamish hadn't gone off real estate-wise the way it has now. And, uh, you know, it was way overpriced. It's absurd and they're gouging and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and then we see later the other iterations of different events and things that went on in that property. And then it went up for sale again. And it was still too expensive for the municipality to buy. However, that was the sort of the short-term thinking. Long term, obviously, private sector and business and developers see opportunity. So the gentleman who bought it, and I can't remember his name, obviously saw an opportunity in what it was zoned and took that to district hall and made an application. We cannot refuse application. We cannot stop people from applying, provided they tick all the boxes. Right. They're and entitled the zoning, to right? fit. Don't even have yeah. to fit the zoning. Yeah. The only council gets involved is when you want to re-up it or change it or something like that, which or, is what the oil and lube wanted. Or the OCP, right? right? You're allowed to apply for an OCP amendment. They, they can't say no. You have to accept the application. You don't have to say yes in the vote, part right. of it, but you have to accept the application. So when I saw this, I went to the meeting at House Sound Inn and Brewing. I'll never forget it as long as I live. Uh, sitting on a table at the back. There was no chairs. It was full of primarily parents of the local school there, Squamish Elementary. And they were going to throw sticks, rocks, and mud at this gentleman who was going to put in his Jiffy Loop car wash thing. And I waited till the very end, and I turned and I said, I waited for my turn to speak, and I put my hand up and I said to the gentleman, congratulations, you're a very, very, very smart man. You looked at a piece of property that was met your pro forma for what you wanted to do. You looked at the zoning and you said, I can do this here. And you applied, which is a guaranteed win. Because the municipality really doesn't have any tools in place that I'm aware of that can arbitrarily say, oh, but you're zoned correctly. You fit within the OCP. You're allowed to do that on this property. It meets all our other regulatory. But we just feel like we don't want you here. You can't do exactly. that. Yeah. So... He got that. Now, where I'm not sure how we got to Jumar was somewhere in between then and, and, and now. 
However, a lot of voice opinions apparently. A lot yeah. Of, a lot of, however, no, no, no. with all the no's, you likely had some horse trading going on. Right. Staff going back and going, we don't want Jiffy Loop car wash here, even though I don't see the big issue because if the Jiffy Loop car wash doesn't work over time, it'll close down. Something else will go there. That's what happens with land everywhere. Yeah, or happens, business in general. Or business in general. Yeah, right? Happens all over Vancouver. Happens yeah. all over Squamish. Anyway, so then we got to Jumar, and of course. Squamish was pushing the density thing downtown. They were pushing the storefront retail with the office on second floor and the residences on top because we're going to have this live, work, play community, this walkable downtown and met all those. And uh, so a deal's done. And now people are even more irate, which I go back to the original, which was (laughs) you're complaining about your taxes going up. Imagine if Squamish would have bought this for 50000 or $250,000, or they would have put the Jiffy Lube car wash there. What I he see on the old social media is what they're worried about now, the pedophiles and floors three and four looking down at the schoolyard or whatever. I see all sorts of, you know, stories about what's going to happen there. I'm going, Jiffy Lube car, lo- car wash looks pretty, pretty good. good now, yeah. <laughs> right? Open during the day, fairly busy with a little bit of traffic, right? And uh, from what time does the Jiffy Loop close in Vancouver? Eight, nine o'clock? Something like that, yeah. And tell the next morning at the same time, nothing. Right. Right? So, and, and you'll have nearly not as much traffic as people who live at the Jumar getting their vehicles to go to work or do whatever. Yeah, well, and that's the whole other thing is that when we started developing Squamish the way that it's being developed now, it was, you know, everybody's going to work from home and they're going to have one car per household. I hate to break it to you, but not... Since, since the day I moved to Squamish in 95 and I moved here, people had dirt bikes, snowmobiles, one or two pickup trucks and a car. And today they have three or four pickup trucks, four or five snowmobiles, six or seven dirt bikes, on and on. Well, and never on. mind the kayaks and the kite boards and uh, all the other tro- toys and, and bicycles, that sort of stuff. Yeah. And taking up large amounts of space and at the same time not helping with the walkability or, uh, you know, other forms of transportation in town. Well, I know, like with the Jumar thing, you, you put a lot of blame too on the on the uh, on the school board for not sort of standing up and saying, "Hey, we don't like this." Does the school board honestly have any sway in that kind of decision? No, uh, no, not as a regulatory body. However, I did mention it, and maybe out of haste, but the municipalities or local governments—I can't blame Squamish. It's it's pretty much everywhere you see it in Vancouver and see it in the regional districts. They do a horrible job of communicating what their plans are to the other agencies. And the school board does the same. Obviously, they're a provincial organization. If I'm at school board, if I'm a trustee or I'm on a uh, superintendent, and I saw what that proposal was for the Jiffy Lou board, the Jumar, I would, in my own way of thinking, go, okay, this isn't going to work. I need that piece of land. How do I achieve that goal? And at the same time, if I'm a city councillor or a city planner, I'm saying the same thing. Now, is there a major problem with a uh, five or six story, eight story building going around the school? I I don't see it. Uh, Statistically, major crimes in Canada are way down. Uh, Everybody's got a cell phone with a camera. You know, things aren't as crazy out there as maybe we see or read on social media or in the news. However, back to the school board thing, if it was going to be as big an issue, it should have been dealt with. And that's when the municipality, I think, needs to go to the school board and say, hey, is there something to be done here? Is there something we can do or make a deal, horse trade the land, 
whatever, and I call horse trading, it's a, a terrible term, but is there something that we can do to make this better? And if you look at that field, and boy, that field, behind the Squamish Elementary School, it's horrendous. I've played baseball there. I've tried to play soccer there. It's terrible. It's basically unusable piece of land. Lots of goose poop. And I may have attempted to convince the owners to say, hey, let's put some infrastructure in here. Let's move you back into there. Let's give you even a bit more density. Even though they're still looking back at the high school or the, or the um, elementary school, that's not uncommon in other cities. Mm-hmm. We want to build our residences around our infrastructure, which is schools and parks, which that has both. So you're talking about along the, uh, the Cleveland side, like along with the McDonald's? Yeah, kind of behind the McDonald's and the, and the 7-Eleven. Yeah. And then give them the density, put a road in and a road out and give up that piece of land out front. Right. And then create with, swap, yeah. and then create with that piece of land out front what you want to see as your entrance to Squamish slash Squamish Elementary House Sound Secondary. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, if you need to do more density, allocate some funds to get in that high school field done up properly. Mm-hmm. Because it's got to be the most underutilized piece of nicely mown grass we have in the community. Mm-hmm. It could be, you know, to the top standards of what we see in West Van, North Van. I've traveled enough in the United States in the last few years to see their high schools down there. This is how you attract people. This is how you keep kids out of trouble. And uh, there was a deal to be done there, but how nobody sees that deal, I don't know. Right. I, I, it's, it's, it's so obvious to me. and I'm, I, I don't know what I'm missing. I know how sewer pipes going. I know how water pipes going. I generally know how traffic works right. and I generally know when bunt engineering gets hired for every traffic study what the result will be coming out of it well now there's a couple of candidates to fix the situation since like they didn't have the foresight it's happening the way it is they're already digging it up so we can't change that a couple of candidates now have been talking about and you can talk to me about feasibility since you've worked with pretty much all levels of government in terms of development and stuff like that some of the candidates are mentioning that we move the elementary school to the high school and then we move the high school to Brennan Park, new municipal hall down to Brennan Park and build that whole big complex so then we can pull in funds from different levels and grow this big, huge sort of central Squamish institution. So when the high schoolers go to school, they can go and use the Brennan Park facilities and they can go here and there and be active instead of being, say, near the McDonald's or the new weed shop that's across the way. So, Marcus, I guess my question for you is, you know, where do you get the money? And well, so my, you sell yeah. you sell the Squamish Elementary School lands? Is that what you're suggesting? That's not, I, I have no idea, but this is what some of the, like I said, candidates have been proposing. And I'm assuming they're going to look at funds, uh, you know, development funds from the province. They're going to look at, uh, because our schools are filling up quite quickly, you know, one of those things where we can use some some help here, there, even maybe corporate help, partnerships, whatever. Um So I guess, Marcus, um, because I haven't heard this before, when I think about this, I look back to um, when Quest was built. We had an opportunity there as municipality to sign on to a long-term lease for the use of their facilities, and we thought it was too expensive. It's never too expensive to rent or lease, and the reason is is because you just pay that amount, and if you don't have that amount, you don't pay it, and when you build it, you're obligated to maintain it and own it. And sure, people will argue, well, it's your infrastructure and it's worth money and blah, blah, blah. Sure it is. You're also in the municipality of Squamish stuck with the staffing situation we have now, which I'm not suggesting they're not good staff, but there's a union involved. There's other parameters involved there that are difficult to sometimes work within or negotiate with. And so whereas up at Quest, it would have been privately run and you just basically sign in 
on the computer systems, book your times, Squamish was allotted this much, the university was allotted that much. So I don't know about moving to high school to Brennan Park. If I was a city councillor and I was looking to do a deal like that, um, I wouldn't be doing that deal. I wouldn't be spending taxpayers' money on that. What I'd be doing is looking for a partner outside of it. I'd be looking at a 25 to 50-year lease, um, sell the land to them, whether that's paid for initially or paid through on um, some sort of um, like subsidized rental back to the municipality. But I would build a, you know, I have a couple of clients that own uh, institutional buildings. I'd be looking at building a multi-use facility. Absolutely, I agree with you. High school, if you're going to go there, put the city hall there, that's fine. Um, the other thing is you're going to need a new fire department here. The ambulance station here is an absolute joke. Um, and the police station, the same. They spent a bunch of money on the thing. As you can see, it's sinking. The bricks are cracking. There's all sorts of problems with it. And so you might as well move the majority of that stuff over to there um, and then have that same developer develop that, a multi-use building for your police, fire, ambulance. And then just pay the rent. You know what the costs are every year. You've got a lot. So they get a stable tenant, an incredibly stable tenant with guaranteed money, and you get a guaranteed price for 25 or 50 years. Mm-hmm. So you know what it's going to cost you. It's not, oh, no, the fire hall needs a seismic upgrade. Let's stick a bunch of bolts through it and a bunch of supports. And they have a worse off situation than they already had. It's costing us nothing. We're bleeding money. Yeah. At the same time, we got to go out and borrow more money. And as some of the candidates for mayor are suggesting, the interest payments are well over a million dollars a year. Yeah. Which, which kind of building do you get for that when it's not your cash going out? Yeah. Somebody else is cashing. Yes, sure, you can argue that goes back in the lease payment. Of course it does. But it's a fixed cost. And if you can't afford it, you walk away. It's on a five-year renewal or 10-year renewal. You walk away. It's too expensive for us now. Can't afford it. I mean, we don't need this much, this big a government. Or we don't need this big a fire department. Or we don't need this big a police department. And you walk away. But you knew what the costs were so you can actually forecast and budget ahead 5, 10, 15, 20 years. But the work under the current situation where we're doing everything band-aid solution and then trying to forecast what we'll need in the future and trying to build new infrastructure it's too expensive for government Mm -hmm. and so at the same time you know this is where you got to have all the agencies at the table willing to participate school board district police fire and work these things out figure out what these budgets are today what they are in the future i think you know my opinion 100% 100% supportive of public education, but they hold large volumes of land now for what is totally a changed society and operations. And I don't quite understand it. I don't... What do, you, what do you mean? You look at the underutilization of the space they have up at Don Ross, as an example, right? It's utilized a few times a year in general. There's a tennis courts up there that, I don't know, they look more like, a, like farmland, you know? Like they're just not utilized. Okay. What are you saving this for? For the day that tennis comes back and there's thousands of people playing it? Or, like, what or is, room for portables since the schools are going to be overloaded. But the thing is, why? so why don't we start to develop our schools, schools a bit more vertically? Like, this is what we do. This is what we do at other institutions. The kids, for example, at Don Ross, in fact, all the schools in Squamish. If you ride your mountain bike to school or your skateboard to school, all I see is trees outside those schools, trails, parking lots, and rails. So what more do you need? You know, we do, I don't think we need so much of everything as much as we need enough of everything done well. 
Right, okay. So let's dump our money. So if you want to save Don Ross's track and soccer pitch, then do that deal with the municipality. Get the proper track in there. Get the proper lighting in there. Get the proper outbuilding that, you know, uh, locker room style outbuildings. And let's make it happen, right? When I go and watch my kids play soccer in Vancouver at some of the best turfs in the whole lower main and their high schools, the door's unlocked, the washroom's available, there's a track and there's people running and walking around it while the kids are playing soccer, and there's game after game after game after game after game on the same place. In Squamish, we come here, we got lots of grass everywhere, and one turf pitch trying to run all the games on it. Doesn't make any sense to me. Mm-hmm. Let's give up a bit of dirt, take the money, and make another turf pitch. Make another, put a, whatever it is, put a roof, a retractable roof over the skate park. Like, do the things we do and do them well, rather than having lots of sort of not as well done done facilities. Right. And and it's, it's, it's ridiculous. To, to me, that sounds easier said than done. I wouldn't even know where to scratch the surface on that. But we're not we're not here to talk policy or any of that sort of stuff. We're talking about overview. Since we're on the development train, we were talking about, I think, the OCP a little bit the last time. Let's get back onto the OCP. And you know where I'm going with this. Garibaldi Springs! It's funny how that went through on a 4-2 vote after they talked about the award-winning OCP and so forth. And we had, you know... This is not the first inception of uh, that deal to go into that in the Garibaldi Springs. Actually, this is sort of looks like the carbon copy of a deal that was put forth maybe different years ago. It's just you had a different government this time that said, sure. To me, it doesn't bother me too much. What bothers me is how they pushed it through so quickly before the end of the election. That is unprecedented. Is, is, am I correct in saying that? Marcus, nothing in politics is unprecedented, okay? We can turn on any form of media we have or open an, even a newspaper Nothing is unprecedented in politics, okay? Was the decision this time forced or pushed through? Perhaps. I could argue either side of that equation. Was it the same development as was proposed previous in that location? Perhaps. But things have changed a lot in Squamish, right? It still had the same vehement people against it. Yep. And was it a good deal for Squamish? We'll know in 10 years, 20 years. The reality back to OCP is this. The way it's been explained to me by urban planners, of which I've been very fortunate to work with some really, 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 what I think are really, really good good urban planners. OCPs, from what I understand the definition of, are living documents. So like your garden or like the trees outside, they're living. They can change. They can die. They can be poisoned. <laughs> they can be chopped down. As I've always said and as I understand it, the government documents such as OCP and zonings are able to be changed. And there are thresholds set out, guidelines and other processes that need to be established for you to make those changes. And so was this the right decision? We'll find out in the future. Was it rushed? It might have been. I don't know. I don't go. I, I don't get to see the in-camera meetings. I watch a little bit on the web of the of the um, council meetings. I try to read some of the minutes, but you're not really there. If you're not really there for every part of the conversation all the time, you likely just have your view on it from what you've gathered as information. But that's likely not all the information. At the same time, some of that information they claim they can't share now. This leads us all into this whole in-camera meeting thing and, and what goes on. And I, I heard 
because I watched the All Candidates meeting part of it last night on online. And this, uh, well, we can't talk about it. That's utter bullshit. There is two things you shouldn't talk about in government. One is human resources, dealing with staff. The irony of this, though, is city councils only have one staff. One. Not the 120 people or 200 people that work for the city. They have one staff. One, Marcus. CAO. One. So they shouldn't be talking about the other staff anyway. The CEO should be dealt with if they can't hire competent good staff or the staff that the city council wants to see. But that's it. The second one was legal. Well, I have enough life experience at 42, Marcus, to know the law system is open to interpretation. So you may have a result in a legal case over here and you may have a different result over here. And what's precedent setting? We are not totally sure of that in our society. There's been so many legal cases and land use and everything else in this country, in this province, and in this municipality. So that's the second reason they go into these. The third one they say is contracts. Well, that is the most utter bullshit I've ever heard. If we're going out to tender, we should list who bid before we even look at the bid. These nine companies bid. Then post the prices. They say, oh, it's, you know, we just post usually the winner. But I've been in those meetings where we're thinking about going with the high bidder. I'm going, there's no value in that bid. Or we're looking at going with the low bidder because they're the cheapest. And I'm thinking from experience, there's no possible physical way unless you're using slaves to achieve these goals, desired results for this money. It's not possible. And I've been in the meetings where I've, I've heard from staff, oh, but we always use these guys. That's nice. But today isn't always, right? So I want to see at least three prices, comparable prices. And the process you use, like city and the scope of work, goes to the same for everybody because it's a contract. It's in the contract. But I want to see the three prices and then I want to have a conversation about it. And then at which point in time it's too expensive. It's just a no for everybody. Sorry we wasted your time, but maybe sharpen your pencil. Or sorry we wasted your time, but perhaps we didn't get accurate information and pricing from the staff initially. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, tender is a cost of business, right? So if you're issuing a tender, it's a, it's a cost of business. So feeling bad for a company putting in a tender, well, that's cost of business. Exactly. But I've heard this rationalized in this way as to why we should accept, and it's not it's not true. Yeah. But they go in, in camera for this stuff. This is should not be this way. Should it be the prices are listed, and the reasoning behind why you picked who you did is listed, noted. We discussed this and that. You're not going to get yourself in a world of legal trouble there. You're simply not. The decision is made. Well, it's a public decision. So the and you know what? Know, the right? only legal trouble you're going to get in is if one of the contractors sues you. Go ahead. Try. You're going to sit in court for 10 years to try and collect on a tear in your beer? Forget it. It's not going to work for you. Mm-hmm. Right? If we do this approach, we will have greater successes in getting the things done we want to get done for what we have. If we don't have this approach, we're in big trouble. So we don't know what they talked about at Garibaldi Springs right. with who's a polygon we don't know the whole conversation we didn't get invited to the coffees or the lunches or the the handshake meetings or whatever it is going on <laughs> and i and i don't want to even remotely touch on that there could be anything like unethical happening right i don't want i don't want to go there no i don't want to go down the rabbit hole however we don't know and so and there is a way to share more information but the councils the politicians are scared and i don't know why because you can pretty much almost get away with everything as a politician and not be really reprimanded. And by the time it goes through the whole process of being reprimanded, your term's probably over and you're not running again anyway. So that's BS. And the staff shouldn't be held to account. And the CAO, who is their boss, 
and who's the only employee of the politicians, should be free to speak that. But this is also, you know, you, anyway, and we can go on and on about this, but it's, uh, and that's the frustrating part as a taxpayer and as a, as a citizen, is that we should know more about what those conversations are. The mayor's office should be outside of City Hall in another facility, so you at any point in time can, with a glass door perhaps, although it's locked, but you can walk by and see who's in there talking to them. Because there shouldn't be secrets. There shouldn't be lunch meetings or fishing trips or, you know, whatever going on unless they're reported, unless they're registered on record that this happened. So I don't know how they got there, but they did. And you know what? It's done. And we will find out in 10, 15 years what the end result is. (laughs) You think it's going to be a good result or a bad result at the end of 15 years? I always got to think that it's going to be good. Well, because, that's, that's because you have such a positive nature. Well, it's just because if I didn't think it was going to be good, then, you know, yeah, what's the point, right? And even think of that way. That area has significant infrastructure put into it. Like the road, sewer, water, it's there. So I, I like that, that we're using existing infrastructure. See the Sky Highway's right outside there. Though I know you have to turn right to go out and go north first before you go south. I think we'll see a bit more commercial development happen down there. I know there's that one piece of land right on the highway. That is uh, for office type use and uh, some retail. So so that could benefit or that could be a catalyst for that to happen. I know the schools up above, the new school with the um, Sky Ridge. Congratulations to Jay Wood and his team up there. I think they've done a good job up there. So there's infrastructure in place for people to use the school. More people living in the area with kids can use the area. I think some of the stuff that the district gets back on the land is good. I think it ties up some loose ends on some things that were done in the past up the hillside there that were legal issues that now will be resolved. You don't have a ton of density over there, although some would argue you do with the with the townhomes. It's really not. Um, well, now you're talking about sprawl, not necessarily density. Yeah, it's not really sprawl though be- over there because it's density because it's infill. So I'm okay with it on that level. I'm and I think it benefits all the businesses in the lower estates area. The one negative impact likely will be on the mom. Momquam school. Hopefully some of these kids head over to the Brackendale. But um, I mean, overall, I don't have a big issue with it. Anything else on your slate that sort of pops out on you? Um, well, I mean, I think, Marcus, at this point in time, we all see what's happening downtown Squamish. The density is getting pretty thick down there. Interesting times to see how this all... So what, 6,500 units are talking about? Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this all pans out. I think in the next little while in Squamish, we're going to see a little bit of a, a leveling off. A lot of inventory coming on. I think there's going to be a leveling off because what you stated before in your previous uh, your previous get mode was uh, the fact that we're going to have a new council in there and they're just going to have to get their feet wet and that's going to take some time and therefore things will slow down a tad. Unless, we, you know, the, the 6,500 units that are getting in there is pretty much... A lot already. Yeah, um, that. But then, don't forget the other side of that equation. And we don't know. This is once again because we're not at those meetings. We're not at those lunch parties and dinner parties. We're primarily talking today about local government. We don't totally know what the province and the federal government are doing. Or, for example, we have a, another level of government in Squamish, the Squamish Nation. Mm-hmm. And although the municipality communicates with them, Squamish Nation isn't going to tell you everything they're doing. They're, they're fools to do so. They're business people too. They're smart people. So you have another nation inside, or we're living inside another sort of nation, another level of government. And so you've got Garibaldi and Squamish possibly coming. When? Possibly sooner than we think. Five years. So five years. So do you plan for it today or do you plan for it in five years? You got WLNG. It's a lot of construction jobs. You know, it's it's funny when you bring up gas and, and LNG. It, it's LNG is actually still becoming uh, 
a viable issue in this election. Whereas we've had a couple of candidates stand up and say, I'm going to do whatever I can to shut this thing down. Stop shutting it down. Well, you know, they sort of make it unreasonable for it to happen. Uh, and then you have the GAS where they almost universally say, except for one candidate, uh, universally say, I need more information. I need more information. I need more information before I make any decisions upon that whatsoever. The irony of it is, Squamish won't be making any decisions for gas, okay? It's in the SLRD. They have two seats at the table. That's the decision they'll make, is who are those two bodies going to that table. Until I see it in the municipality, don't really care what Squamish has to say about it, to be honest with you. Yeah, but they're looking to become part of Squamish, right? Everybody's looking to become part of Squamish, Marcus. The whole world's looking to become part of Squamish, <laughs> right? The reality is it takes a lot of work and effort to do that. So let's go back to we have gas, or whatever you want to call it, Garibaldi. We have WLNG. There's a significant amount of construction jobs to come with this. And I can tell you from commuting many years, the majority of those workers will want to be in Squamish. So you're going to have a huge influx of people being, getting paid large amounts of money and likely living in Squamish, at least temporarily, like we saw with Sea to Sky Highway and Olympics. You have, with that project, the pipeline to come across from Coquitlam. It's a bunch more jobs in infrastructure and equipment and all this stuff to come in the valley. You've got development in Britannia. You've got development at Furry Creek. You have a number of things that still impact Squamish, regardless of what whether you have a slowdown here in the local real estate market or the sales of real estate units in Squamish. You have to still deal with all these things because Squamish still becomes the hub of all these functions. Squamish is like one of the biggest cogs, if not the biggest cog in the wheel of Whistler. Because where does the services come from? They don't helicopter the food into Whistler. They don't helicopter the parts and for the gondolas and ski lifts in Whistler. They come to Squamish. They're not Squamish, they go to Whistler. We have more storage. We have more affordable workspace. This is the place. There are those pressures. So even if we see a cooling off in the real estate, those pressures are going to impact Squamish in either a positive or a negative light. And you need to deal with them. You need to plan for them. They're not going away. The other one no one talks about, and it's not massive, but it's big enough. McNabb Creek is going to have the new gravel mine. More barge traffic, more boat traffic. Where are those workers coming from? Now, what I understand is originally they were going to do a camp thing over there. They may still do that, where you go in, you work camp shifts and come yeah. back out. But where are those workers going to come from? Not West Van. Not too many barge operators, gravel truck drivers I know from West Van. Squamish. Probably going to come from Squamish. And if they can make it work where they drive over every day, commute, there's another, what, 50 to 100 jobs mm-hmm. to happen over there, right? That's a, that's a lot of people. That's a lot of impact and pressure on Squamish. A lot of more, a lot more infrastructure. Something, right? Yeah. More vehicles on the road, more bodies, more people at the library, more of all these things, right? So it impacts Squamish. So you got to plan. You got to think, you know, think regionally and then try to sort yourself out in Squamish as a municipality. And then, but think regionally. It's not just Squamish that impacts Squamish, right? That gives you a pretty good indication of where I think those issues are, where they're headed. In terms of development, yeah. And um, what the impacts will be. Thanks a lot, Mo. No worries. This is the Sea to Sky podcast. If you have a comment or story ideas, please check out our website at seataskypodcast.com or on Facebook and Twitter at Seataskypodcast. Thank you for clicking us on.